uh, in introducing today's guest speaker, Peter Richardson. Peter is well known in local history circles and it will be remembered by some of you as the manager of the Launceston Library prior to 2009. Half of our committee worked there with Peter. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and now he's now president of the Friends of the Launceston Mechanics Institute um, yeah, Friends of the Launceston Mechanics Institute and will tell us about the treasure within the Launceston Mechanics Library. Thank you for that introduction, Marion. And I'd have to say at the outset, it's great to be here on such a happy occasion uh, and to see two such deserving uh, members, created life members, uh, people I've worked with over many years and it gives me a great deal of pleasure to see all of their work acknowledged in that way. Uh, and given that this is the first meeting for the new year, what I thought I would do is tell you a very happy story and, to se and celebrate um, as, uh, as we embark on a new year, the joys of self-guided historical research and especially the uh, exploration of our own history here in Launceston. And I'm going to talk about a three-year project uh, that I uh, and an enthusiastic group of volunteers have been engaged in, some of whom are here today. Uh, it's a story which started with really with two grumpy old men on a, uh, a fairly quixotic sort of exercise starting out in hope and blind faith um, to save a collection of old books um, and finding that the results exceeded all of our expectations. So before I start, I've brought some things with me today. A brochure, which you should have been given as you entered, and if you didn't get a copy, uh, grab one afterwards. That sets out some of the background to the project uh, and puts it in some sort of uh, local context. Uh, we've brought... A slideshow, um, some pictures which should last about as long as the talk um, and most of these are, were taken by Emily McLaren, our photographer on our group um, and they're designed just to illustrate some of, the, uh, some of the things that are going on around the Mechanics Institute uh, and the enormity of our task to, in dealing with all of these old books. We've also brought, um, as many as I could carry, a, a sample of books on the back table there, which you uh, are very welcome to pick up, handle and have a look at. The idea was that it would just give you something of the flavour of this collection and the type of books, the type of bindings, the, uh, the type of subjects that you would find in it. Now, and I think most of you will be aware that the Friends of the Launceston Mechanics Institute group uh, was formed about three years ago and it was formed in a sense of great urgency to save this collection of about 25,000 volumes. And they were the library collection of the Launceston Mechanics Library and Public Institute, uh, Launceston Mechanics Institute and Public Library here in Launceston, which operated between 1842 and 1945. And while we achieved our original aim and the books have been saved, that was really only the beginning for us. So I want to talk a little bit about what's been achieved in those three years. Um, and the first thing to say is that we have now independently verified that this collection is nationally significant, that it represents the oldest, largest and most representative collection of its type in, in the country. And it contains many hundreds of individual items uh, of great rarity and a great historical interest. Even more importantly, 
we've learnt that the collection is greater than the sum of its parts, and I'll explain the reasons for that. So what we've found so far is we have sorted and recorded all of the works in the collection, uh, around about 10,000 volumes of fiction, an equal number of non-fiction books, uh, a couple of thousand volumes of periodicals, um, and smaller collections which are still held uh, in the State Library collection which belong to this library. We've established links with sister organisations around the country, such as the Mechanics Institutes of Victoria, uh, the Ballarat Mechanics Institute, the Tasmanian Family History Association. We've worked collaboratively with the University of Tasmania and, uh, and most importantly of all, with QVMAG here. And we've had two independent assessments completed on the collection to determine, firstly, was the collection significant? And secondly, could it be saved? The first of these, the significance assessment, was funded for us by the National Library. Uh, and we used Collections Council of Australia methodology and we commissioned a distinguished historian, Dr Susan Marsden, uh, former South Australian state historian, to investigate whether the collection was nationally significant. Uh, and as I said, that confirmed that the size, scope, age and provenance of the collection places its importance equal to or above any similar collection in Australia and that's where it takes its national significance from. Uh, Susan says that the collection is unique and of high significance as it retains a significant substantial proportion of the Institute Library amassed over a century from the formative years of a major non-metropolitan city. Uh, a collection that was crucial to the social and cultural development of Launceston and was associated with major historical figures, not only in Tasmania but also in Australian history. Uh, she found it to be the most substantial and comprehensive institute library to have survived in an Australian regional centre from before 1850 uh, and the most substantial and comprehensive collection um, to have survived from that entire period of flourishing of mechanics institutes in Australia uh, over 100 years. So this assessment comprehensively and independently demonstrated that the collection was important and therefore that its sa saving it was, uh, was a worthwhile exercise. Uh, so we then went back to the National Library and we approached them about a preservation needs assessment because the second question we had in our minds was, is it in good enough condition to be saved and preserved? And again, the answer was emphatically yes. And the assessment we had carried out was by uh, Jude Fraser from the Grimwade Centre for Cultural Materials Conservation in uh, Melbourne at the Monash University, uh, University of Melbourne. We got her report in March last year uh, and with it, uh, Jude gave us a blueprint for managing all of the conservation and preservation tasks that are required to allow us to make this collection freely accessible to the public and particularly available to researchers. Since then, we've obtained funding from the Plumley Foundation here at QVMAG uh, to train six volunteers, uh, all retired librarians, to catalogue the collection as part of the Australian National Bibliographic Database uh, and to make them all available on Trove. And we started this project last year and my catalogues have already catalogued around about 40% of the books. This is, for us, the single most important way that our group could improve access to its collection because what it does is provide national and global access uh, to the books. 
uh, information about the collection and individual items in it will be made available for the first time to all of those researchers, historians, bibliophiles uh, and readers who may have an interest in such collections. Previously, this collection had only been accessed by a very small number of researchers. And I'd like at this stage to pay tribute not only to the Plumley Foundation, which supports a great many worthwhile projects in Launceston in historical terms, uh, but also to the, uh, the fact that Brian Plumley is descended from George Birkbeck, who was one of the founders of the entire Mechanics Institute movement in, the, in, in Glasgow in, uh, in the 18th century. So there was a very neat synchronicity about uh, the Plumley Foundation being able to fund uh, this cataloguing project. Uh, I'd also mention that uh, the collection's records, in addition to its library, have all been very uh, well preserved, uh, and they include all of the organisational records and the business records, the correspondence files, um, and over 2015, uh, I and a group of, of volunteers spent every Thursday morning here at the museum uh, indexing those correspondence files and discovering all kinds of things about the provenance of the collection uh, uh, and as well about Launceston community life and politics uh, uh, of operating a community organisation in the process. And next week, we're about to hold a training workshop for our volunteers, another group of volunteers, to help us in the task of cleaning and conserving and storing and maintaining the collection. And we have funding again from the National Library for the materials and equipment to last us for two years' worth of work in, in preserving uh, this collection. So the really big questions that I wanted to pose today was why would we need to retain such a collection? Because after all, it, it is only um, 25,000 old books. It takes up a huge amount of space. Um, they're very heavy to move. Uh, and a, a case has been made for... Um, digitisation of books in, in this century, uh, which many people feel removes the need to retain physical copies of old books. In other words, 80% of these books you could access on the internet in a digital copy, so why would we think it was important to keep them? And secondly, what can the preservation and the study of a collection of books teach us? Uh, and what paths and directions have opened up for us as a group of researchers since we took custody of these books. And the first thing I'd assert in a general sense is that a collection like this offers us a unique way of better understanding 19th century thinking um, and the issues which exercised uh, our city and the world at that time. Things like the growth of interest in science uh, and technology, in education and particularly self-education, uh, the fascination with what was happening in the world um, in terms of exploration, um, the uh, economic development and innovation which was taking place at such a rapid rate at that time, uh, and, the, and the great subjects of the 19th century such as national, natural history, uh, biography, uh, of finding new ways of solving problems in agriculture and transport and mining and all of those things... These are all areas of great strength in this collection and um, anybody browsing the collection will, um, will see just uh, the diversity, the range and the variety of things that were held in this collection. So through studying the collection, um, we can also see how locally these interests played out uh, 
and influenced the city of Launceston. And if you think about Launceston at the time, it's really a small outpost of the empire on the other side of the world from where uh, most people would think things were happening. But yet subjects like education, public health, uh, economic development, uh, innovation, new ways of solving problems, these were all things which the collection reflects were of interest uh, and importance in the community. As an example, the improvement in the supply of water. The collection has books on how to, uh, how the South Africans approached these problems, uh, how English cities were um, putting in sewerage systems, uh, water systems. Uh, these were all information resources which led to improvements and developments in, in our own uh, city. What we can also do from a collection like this is develop a better understanding of what people read uh, and how they read. We can look at their interactions with the books. Uh, we can look at what was chosen for the collection. We can look at how heavily different parts of the collection were used. Uh, we can look at what people donated to the collection, what people wanted to have uh, in, in access to the public. Uh, and the list of donors and previous owners uh, of these books that are in the collection uh, is a roll call of colonial leaders. There, there are books there that were donated by Lady Jane Franklin, Sir John Bichonneau, Sir Richard Dry, uh, the Raby family, the Henty family, uh, John Faulkner, and that's just to name a few that we have the actual physical evidence um, that were owned by these people. We can also investigate by looking at the collection what made this library, this Mechanics Institute, uh, a success. How did it survive for over 100 years, guided by only a, a voluntary community management group, um, using only its own resources, uh, when so many other similar institutions uh, either failed or fell by the wayside? And rude as it is, I like to mention uh, from time to time that the Hobart Institute barely survived 20 years. Uh, <laughs> and only did that with government help. Um, um, yeah, what's new? <laughs> um, I, I think another aspect of this collection uh, that is important is it gives us a better understanding of uh, the importance and the growth and the development of self-education uh, for adults. Uh, and this Mechanics Institute movement really was the birth of adult education. Uh, one of the things about this collection which I think has special appeal to librarians, and I know there are a few here today and there certainly are a few on, uh, on our group, um, a collection like this shows you how information was managed and how it was organised and how it was disseminated and how this changed over that 100-year period that the, uh, that the library was in operation. So really this collection is a time capsule which reflects... Uh, a century of education, of evolution in cataloguing, uh, in classification uh, and in access to information and that is a particularly uh, valuable research area which um, we have, have to work with uh, in the future. Um, and we can also use the collection to uh, gain a better understanding of all sorts of business activities in our city. So uh, we have primary source evidence of publishing trade, the book selling trade, uh, the associated activities uh, around them. Uh, in the collection and records we can see the activities of Launceston booksellers, we can see uh, how the import uh, of books uh, operated as a business. 
Uh, we have evidence about the local stationers, the printers, uh, and most interestingly, the, um, the local bookbinders, because a great proportion of these books were actually so heavily used that they were continually being rebound. And, um, and some, of the, some of the binding that was going on here in Launceston um, is quite remarkable. It, um, neat, but, uh, neat but not gaudy, I often describe it as, because some of those books bound in the 1890s um, are still as solid uh, uh, as they were in that day. And, and when you pick up some of those books over there, you'll, you'll see just how robust and um, how strong uh, the bindings were. Um, the other thing that we can do in terms of the business is um, look at evidence of relationships between this library and other colonial institutions. Um, our librarians were two Scotsmen um, who occupied the position for almost 80 years between them. Uh, the, the first appointment, Alex Johnson, took up his position in 1860 uh, and he had the job until he died in 1906. He was then succeeded by uh, his assistant, uh, Joseph Forward, uh, and Joseph had all these pent-up ideas. He'd, he'd been assistant for quite a long time and he <laughs> was obviously busting to put a few ideas into, into, into practice. So he occupied the position from 1906 to 1945 when the council took the library over. Uh, and uh, he was a man who had no fear. He was just as happy to pick up a pen and write a letter asking for information from the State Librarian of New South Wales or of, uh, uh, the uh, State Librarian of Victoria, the Parliamentary Library uh, boss in, camp in uh, Melbourne at the time. Um, and he was a man who took on all sorts of organisational tasks in expanding library services throughout Tasmania and uh, not just uh, in Launceston. Um, in, a, in a very real sense, um, he was a man who saw the future of the State Library Network and, uh, and understood how that could work. We also have evidence of uh, relationships between our, our collection and British businesses. Um, so the great circulating libraries such as Moody's in, uh, in Britain, which had hundreds of branches and operated the most successful uh, subscription library paid for um, system um, in it, uh, of all um, and we were buying books from them on a regular basis so there's evidence of in the provenance of the books through labels and, uh, and uh, things um, written into the books that books were obtained from these big libraries in, in Britain for circulation here uh, from time to time we sent books to Bath in England to be rebound when local binders weren't available. So there was a whole level of commerce going on between us and Britain. Um, people were buying books at auction in the, the big London auction houses uh, and sending them to the collection if they felt that they were useful. So that we had representatives in Britain scouting for books. And given the Australian publishing industry was quite small at the time, um, as you would expect... Um, a lot of the books. Those, those are examples of Launceston bindings. If you're quick, you'll see a little typo on one of the... <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so, there's, there's that, but there's also, as a business model, uh, how did a community organisation survive on its own resources for 
um, over 100 years. Um, and we know that this group started with nothing, 100, 140 books, I think it was, in the first original collection, didn't have a home, uh, worked for 18 years to raise the money to erect that magnificent building, which um, we all regret um, is no longer here, um, and then worked over the next century to continue that business model. Because the only way this library survived was by people paying their subscriptions and paying to borrow the books. So that's why we can be so sure that this is a, an, an excellent um, description of what people were interested in because this was, when it all comes down to it, a business. Um, and it wouldn't have survived without subscribers. Um, it would. It, it's remarkable how much library use grew when free library was introduced by council in 1945 um, and membership quickly trebled, um, children's books were, became much more of a priority but this group of you know, succession of committees of management managed to keep this library going uh, and also um, to draw praise from all over the country for the quality of the collection as well. So just to get close to a conclusion, um, what do we mean by the treasure within uh, in our title? Well, firstly, um, it's a way of acknowledging that even if uh, we lost a critically important building uh, in our city's heritage, um, its contents, the book collection, um, which after all was at the heart of that institution, that that has survived. Um, and secondly, uh, that the exploration of that collection, and particularly the exploration that we've undertaken over the last three years, um, has revealed and will continue to reveal many more treasures. And that they're all treasures that will increase our understanding of our shared past. And so that's the real answer to my original question, A, why, why should we keep this library and why should we keep it in Launceston? Now, finally, before I take a few questions, here's an invitation. Would any of you like to be part of this exploration? Uh, there are numerous ways that volunteers have been involved um, and there are numerous other ways that volunteers will be involved in the future. Um, there is a list here somewhere of uh, our major projects uh, which you can take away with you, um, but there are many more projects on the drawing board. Uh, for example, we haven't even started to look at the fiction collection yet, so there's 10,000 books there to be assessed. And the other thing is that the more people who become involved in projects like this uh, and come to them from their own particular areas of interest um, and, and their own areas of knowledge, um, they will have other perspectives on the collection. They will see things that we're not seeing now and they will see avenues of research that we haven't even dreamt of. So we are more than happy to arrange visits to our collection for individuals and for small groups. Um, we invite you to have a look at the small sample of books that we've brought with us today over afternoon tea. Feel free to handle them and pick them up. As I said, they're a very robust collection and uh, they're not going to fall apart in your hands. Um, but have a look at some of the things that um, were of interest to the men and women who used this collection. We have 
at the moment uh, an exhibition of books uh, about Darwin and the theory of evolution. That's a travelling exhibition and that's in the library at the university library if uh, anybody considers they'd like to have a look at that or are out there for other purposes. Um, and we also invite you to have a look at our website. Um, eventually on there the, um, the web address will come up but it's also on your brochure. Have a look there. There are I think 60 something posts there looking at the stories of individual books um, which um, will give you some idea of the sort of research that is possible when uh, confronted with uh, individual titles from the collection uh, and um, collections of individual authors' books. So I thank you for your interest uh, and I'm more than happy to take as many questions as you'd like to fire at me. Did you have your hand up for a reason, Leonie? Yes. <laughs>